Well, welcome. Uh, Redemption Church is one church with 10 congregations all across the state of Arizona. And we here at uh, Redemption Arcadia and every one of the Redemption congregations, we are uh, gospel-centered and outward-focused. We believe that all of life is all for Jesus. So thank you for being here with us today. Uh, my name is Tyler Thompson. I am the pastor of worship and communities here at the church. So if you're interested in getting plugged in with either of those things, worship or communities, would love to uh, get you set up with a small group or with the worship team, let me know. I have one announcement for us, and then we're going to do an all-of-life interview. Every once in a while, we do an all-of-life interview where we invite somebody uh, from the congregation to come and share with us a little bit about how this Jesus has impacted their lives. And so the announcement that I have for you is that we have a Fallapalooza coming up. Yeah. We have one person excited. No, we have more people excited. Yes, that's good. Hey, so a, a couple of things about this. This is a fall festival, and it's going to be on October 30th from 5.30 to 8 p.m. Uh, there's going to be a chili cook-off. There's going to be a trunk or treat, carnival games, and more. And so we want to invite you to come out to that. There are these flyers in the back that you can actually pick up and hand to somebody. I want to let you know two or three things just about this and our hearts for this. One is, this is specifically not named something after Halloween. This is specifically not on Halloween. This is something that we intend to be a missional activity with our community, that we want to be able to, as, as followers of Jesus, reach out to our community and draw them into the life that we experience here with God and with one another. And this is a way for us to do that missionally. So we'd love for you to pick this up and share this with friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, so that you can come and enjoy this time together at our Fallapalooza. It's going to be a blast. I'm super excited about it. So uh, at this time, I'd like to invite Rich Menard up. Yes. So everybody, hey, this is Rich Menard. Rich is a fun guy. He's a, he's a funny Mushroom. guy. <laughs> he's a funny guy, um, unless you ask his wife, and his wife doesn't think he's that funny. But um, he's, he, I've never seen Rich be very serious about anything. Uh, true. I think that's true. But he has a heart of gold, and he is very serious about prayer. And so we wanted to actually ask Rich to come and share a little bit about prayer. But before we do that, Rich, can you just tell them a little bit about you and who you are and how long you've been around and that kind of thing? Uh, well, let's see now. Dirt. Let's see. When dirt was invented. No. <laughs> um, I've been coming here for about eight years with Lisa, my wife, of 20 years. And uh, it's, I've been a native of Phoenix forever. So yeah. born and raised here. Yeah. And uh, you're retired? Are you retired? I'm retired. And, wh and what did you do before being retired? Uh, just about everything. Uh, but uh, the last few years, I was a UPS driver. So the guy in brown that makes your animals go crazy, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And you're an you're a RC leader, a redemption community leader. Yes, a small we have an RC leader. group, right? Yeah. Very good. And so uh, uh, Rich, Rich and Lisa have been leading their RC for about a year now, which yeah. is great. Uh, so tell us a little bit about why prayer is so important to you. Well, I think it's because uh, when I got saved back when I was 16 at Big Surf, Arizona, um, it was pretty much uh, drilled into me that all of life, you can have a conversation with God and 
just talk to them like you would your best friend. And I've been doing that since then. That's awesome. Uh, and you have more time to pray now that you're retired, is that right? That's a fact. I really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if anybody's in downtown Scottsdale from about 8 to 9, that's when I walk through and, and they probably think I'm a homeless guy because I'm always talking out loud to someone. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, there was a famous quote by Martin Luther uh, that, that, that he's, he's, he was talking about how much he prays every day and he prays two hours a day except for the weeks that he's really busy and then he prays three hours a day because right. on the busy weeks he needs to pray even, all the more. Even, yeah. All the more. Yeah. So I, I love that idea of praying all the time. So how does that play out not only on the streets of Scottsdale but at home and in your small group and here at church? Well, it really is fun because when we do devotions and after devotions every morning we pray uh, for, you know, we keep prayer journals, but we don't read everybody's name in those journals because they're about 40 pages deep. And, um, you know, we just have fun praying for others and your family and your neighbors and coworkers. And pretty soon you could be praying all day. You just never know. Yeah, good. And then what about in the small group? How about prayer in the small group? You know, that's always been key. And uh, at the end, like we keep about 20 to 25 minutes left for people to tell you their, you know, what they need prayer for for the next couple weeks. And then, of course, we print them out, send them out, and then we pray for those needs for the next two weeks until we see them again. So you're telling me you can do this at any time about any subject? You can pray any, anywhere? Anywhere, any place. Uh, you know, it's nice to be in a closet, but some people don't have closets big enough. But uh, <laughs> yeah. that's why I go outside. That's good. What about here at the church? What are some opportunities for prayer here at the church? Huh, man, there's lots of opportunities for prayer. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things is for, like, praying for our pastors, deacons, and elders, and their families, because they're always having things go on, and it's really neat. But, uh, but there's nothing too small to pray about, and that's one of the fun things, like, when we used to work in kids' ministries— You'd, you'd try and get the kids down to settle them down, and you say, let's pray about something. And they want to pray about their dog, their cat, their horse. They want to pray about their whatever. But God's still interested in hearing about that as well as our headaches, our backaches, mm. our marital problems, and, uh, you know, just mostly for our kids. That's awesome. So there's nothing too small to pray about. How about too large? Anything too large to pray about? No, no, no. It's... Uh, you know, we, we know people with cancer. We know people with, that are going through marital difficulties and things like that. And it's like God's interested in it all. And there's nothing that you can't bring to him in prayer. That's awesome. Can you, do you have any specific stories about like something cool that you've seen God do through prayer? You know, um, I guess the biggest miracle is when you pray for your kids and you, you see them all of a sudden, boom, the light goes on. They're serving the Lord. And you're thinking, you know, how could we not have always thought that God was working in those people's lives all that time? And waiting is important, too, you know, because sometimes it just doesn't happen overnight. It might take 15 or 20 years. But when we wait upon the Lord, it's always good. It's awesome. 
Uh, so a couple of things that I just want to extend to you as an opportunity for prayer here is that once every, every Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m., we pray in here uh, prior to the service. And anybody's invited to that, I just want to let you know that if you'd like to come and pray together before the services on Sundays, we do that at 8.30 a.m. here in this room. Uh, and then also there's a uh, prayer that goes on at the ends of services. Uh, usually we'll have leaders that are up uh, on the sides over here uh, towards the end of the service, uh, communion and following. And we would love for you to participate more in prayer during that time as well. You know, that's one of the things that um, made me approach Tyler here about that. And these people are up here wanting to pray for you. And, you know, there's a song out that says that... Uh, Church is like a hospital, and a lot of people that are hurting come to church, and these people are willing and able to pray for you, so don't hesitate to come up, because, you know, a lot of people think, well, I don't want to look like I'm weak, but, you know, we are weak. You know, God's big. We are small. Come up. Get some prayer. You know, don't waste. These people want to pray for you and I'm telling you you're you bring it up here and it's like you're sharing your needs and that's what you need to do like an RC you share your life you share your needs with your RC people but you can do it with these people up here too and and I know they'd love to pray for you and there's strength in numbers and when when you get more people praying for you you know things really happen amen well let me pray for us right now God we, we pray that we would become uh, a, a church body that is intently looking to you in prayer. God, that we would take every opportunity to talk with you, uh, whether that be on the streets in, in Scottsdale, Lord, whether that be in our homes or in small groups or here at the church. Pray that you would make us a praying church, that we would rely more intently upon you each day, and that we would walk in that company with you and with others to your glory. God, we pray this all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand for our scripture reading? This morning's reading is from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You may be seated. All right, thanks, Brennan. Morning, Arcadia. And uh, thank you, Rich, wherever you went for um, sharing your heart about prayer with Tyler. We appreciate that. 
if you are new, we're glad that you are here. My name is Frank. I'm also one of the pastors here, and uh, we're uh, wrapping up a series today and then heading next week back into our series in John. Uh, but before we do that, just a couple of things to mention that I'd like to mention, um, some relating to the message today, others not. First of all, uh, if you could just be praying for Malia Rogers. Many of you know who Malia is. She's uh, uh, one of our, she's on staff here part-time. She's one of our leaders in the, um, in the worship area, working very closely with Caleb and Tyler. Um, our uh, Redemption Peoria Church has had some transition in their staff over there. And so uh, starting this week, uh, for three of the next eight weeks, I think, we're sending Malia over to Redemption Peoria to lead over there. And uh, it, that's one of the great things about being connected to these other congregations, that we can do that. And uh, it's, a it's a great opportunity for Malia as well. Um, and so, but she's leading over there. And she talked to me yesterday at, at Clark Demlin's service that she said, I'm a little nervous going into a new congregation with that kind of responsibility. So just be praying for uh, her, and certainly we miss her. Uh, the other thing is we did yesterday have a, uh, a, an incredible service yesterday afternoon for Clark Demlin. Um, it, was, it was magnificent. A number of speakers came in. David Zook, uh, the family's uh, longtime pastor and, and a friend of mine, was, was in and spoke as well. Tyler Thompson led that service, probably 180 people. Uh, here, a lot of people. Um, uh, it was just a great celebration of Clark's life. Um, if, if you weren't able to be here yesterday, we still have some, um, we have a stack of the memory cards for Clark. They're actually nice bookmarks. They're out at the uh, Connect desk if you want to grab one of those as you head out. And I think we have a couple of programs left if you want to take a look at the program and all the interesting things that was, were in the program uh, as well. Um, that was such a, a uh, an event that, that uh, it's one of the reasons we kind of had the stripped down uh, worship set this morning because um, we, we wanted to be able to put a lot of effort into uh, that service yesterday. And so appreciate Caleb and Reagan leaving, leading us this morning. This was Reagan, and that's her first time on the team uh, today. Really terrific. Um, those of you who've been around a while, we seem to attract a lot of people named Reagan. That's pretty cool. So... Uh, last thing I'll mention is, um, this is going to sound strange at first, but then if, after I explain it, maybe you'll understand. I'm always telling you to get your Bibles out. Get your Bibles out. I want you to have your Bibles out. Today, I, I think you don't need your Bibles, uh, and the reason is because I'm going to go through so much Scripture today so quickly, and it's going to be on the screen, and honestly, um, this is one of those messages where... Uh, I know some of you are note takers, but sometimes when you're taking notes, you don't hear everything. This is one of those messages where I'd really, Stephanie's got her notebook out. <laughs> She's looking at me like, what are you talking about? Anyway, just, man, uh, I really want you to listen uh, today, and, and you can go back and watch the uh, YouTube video or listen to the podcast if you want to take some more notes. Um, and I would encourage you to take note of the scripture passages that we look at today, there's going to be a number of them at the end, quite a few. They are important to this topic that we're looking at today. So this is the end of our, today is the end of our countercultural convictions series. We did an explanation of, of the series. Um, at the beginning of September, we talked about why uh, or how we counter the culture. And here are the topics that we've covered. We've talked about love from a biblical perspective, Jesus, 
We talked about the Bible. All of those were in 2020, February and uh, March in 2020. Then the pandemic hit. And then we came back, and after we restarted the series, we've talked about gender, we've talked about the vulnerable, talked about uh, biblical sexual ethic. Last week we talked about generosity. And now today we talk about salvation. Salvation. And these are convictions. We started the series saying this. These are convictions. They are closed-handed. We don't believe there's area of negotiation on this because it's exactly what Scripture says about these issues. And I know for many, uh, especially some of these topics, this has been a very challenging uh, series, and we recognize that it was going to be challenging. Uh, I will say this about today's message. If you think some of the other topics have been challenging, just wait till we get into this. This is probably going to be the most challenging for many people message uh, of this series uh, that we've had. And we've covered some pretty hot topics uh, so far. So salvation. Now, 18 or 19 months ago, we discussed this way back in the second message. The second message was just about Jesus. This was in March of 2020, and I'm going to reiterate what we said there in order to get us started on today's topic. Sinners, that would be everybody in this room, everybody outside of this room, everybody who's ever existed except for Jesus, sinners can be justified, that is, made righteous, redeemed, or saved. They can be made righteous, saved, delivered, redeemed from their sin only only by faith in Christ, by His grace. Only by faith in Christ, by His grace. There is no other way in which we can be saved. It's the old song, In Christ Alone, that some of you know. The problem is that as human beings, our sin has separated us from God. He's holy and we're not. And so, as human beings... Our most urgent and essential need is to be delivered or saved from the eternal consequences of that separation from God. And the eternal consequences from that separation from God is the eternal, absolute absence of God in your life in a place that is called hell in the Bible. Now, some people say, well, describe what hell is like. Isn't it hot fire? Is it, isn't it dark and dank? And all? I have no idea what of that is metaphor or reality, but this reality I know for sure. God's not there. So it's not going to be a good place. So fire, cold, golf, whatever it is, I don't care. God's not there, it's not going to be... Uh, I've heard people say, well, at least I'll be in hell. I can play golf with all of my friends. Okay, it, it's going to be the worst golf game you've ever had. Anyway, that's the problem. That's the eternal consequence. And so we are saved from God's eternal wrath. But here's the temporal consequence that we're saved from. We're also saved from our own bondage to our sinful nature. We're trapped as human beings by the sinful nature that we are born into. But we're saved from those things. That's not enough. We are also saved to something. And that's the beauty of this. This is the good news now. It's not just that we're saved from something. We are saved to something. We're saved to a beautiful relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
And we are saved to freedom in Jesus to be who God called and created us to be. This is good news. And the truth is, what we need ultimately to be saved from, the truth is, is we need to be saved from ourselves. That's who we're being saved from. Yes, we're being saved from God, by God, to God, and for God. That's all true. But ultimately, the problem is, is that we're constantly getting in the way of our own salvation because we think we can do it if we need it. That's another problem. Most of us don't even think we need it. Okay? So the problem, one of the problems that we have is that we're taught incorrectly by our culture from the moment that we're born that as human beings we are basically good. That's what we're taught. We're basically good. Now that's a lie, and we know it's a lie, but most of us hate to think about it because the consequences of that truth, we believe, that it is a lie, the consequences of that truth really are too horrible and inconvenient to consider. Sounds messy, sounds like a lot of trouble. And so we'd rather just avoid it. Here, here's what we do, and Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. We metaphorically cover our ears to the truth of God. In Romans chapter 1, Paul describes it this way. We suppress the truth. We look around, and, and creation demands that there is obviously a God, but we, we look around and we know that's true, but we suppress the truth. We'd, we'd rather create our own truth. We, we'd rather worship ourselves. We'd rather submit to no one other than ourselves. We, we, we conjure and create all of these other things. We suppress the truth. And so we engage in life's white noise, and sometimes it's just busyness in order to keep the truth from penetrating our minds. And we choose to believe the nonsense that we're basically good and loving because it's just easier. And not only that, but we also then enthusiastically encourage others to believe it as well. That's the end of, of Romans chapter 1. We become militant evangelists for this lie. It's not enough that we believe it. We also have to, we have to affirm our belief in it by getting others to believe it as well. But one of the things that Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is he blows up this lie. So here's what Jesus does in what many of us find is the most, one of the most uncomfortable parts of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, listen, the law says don't, don't commit adultery. Right? And then he says, but even if you lust for somebody else, in your heart you've already committed adultery with them. Jesus, you're meddling now. Okay? He says, don't commit murder. That's what the law says. But he says, even if you're angry with someone and you insult them and you, and you call them names, you have murdered them in your heart. So it's not enough not to do the act. He's, he's getting at the root of the problem. He's saying the, the problem really isn't even your behavior. The problem is here. It's with you. It's with me. It's with us. See, it's not just our actions, but it's our nature and our thoughts. Lust, envy, hate, condemnation. Now listen, just slow down and think about this. If humans are basically good, we should have absolutely no problem with what I'm about to propose. Absolutely no problem. You should be flocking to the front, lining up for this right now. No problem whatsoever if we're basically good. Is there anyone here who for any 24-hour period in the last year, you would like a transcript of your thoughts published for everybody to read? 
Come on, right up here, we'll form two lines. Anyone? Anyone? See, I wouldn't want that. There's no way I'd want that. Neither would you. Here you go. We would lose our friends. We would lose our family. We'd lose our spouse if we're married. Uh, we'd be fired from our work before they got fired from their work as well. Everything. The truth would finally be out. Now, if you still believe that you're basically good, let's go ahead and hook you up to that machine and let's publish a transcript of your thoughts constantly. Let's see how that works. Here's Rebecca McLaughlin, who is a wonderful author. She writes this about this issue. Yes, we do have thoughts that are good and loving and true. But like a bag of flour that's spoiled by maggots, our minds are also crowded with thoughts that are impure, vile, cruel, and disreputable. Yes, there is some good flour in the bag, but we would never, ever use that bag of flour to bake with because it is corrupted. We're not basically good. We're fallen. We're broken and sinful. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why everyone needs Jesus. And that's the point Jesus is making in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. The law cannot save you. And you are not ever going to be good enough to save yourself. Only Jesus can do that because only Jesus has done that. And that is why this topic is so countercultural. Culture believes and teaches that humans are good in the first place, so there's no need for salvation. And culture believes and teaches that if there is some need for improvement, it's really you that does all the improvement work. You just have to love yourself more. You just have to have that self-actualization uh, experience. You have to go to the right motivational speaker. You've got to get the right counselor to talk to you. Whatever it is, this is what you need. It's about you. And, and here's what I find is the really sad thing. Even most Christian culture, especially, especially American Christian culture, we believe this stuff too. We minimize God while maximizing us. It's the exact opposite of what Scripture teaches. We minimize God and maximize us. Even Christians are a mess on this. And the truth is, culture is more interested. Here, here's the worst part of this, I think. The truth is, culture is more interested in something called escape than they are salvation. Generally speaking, most people really aren't thinking about how they're going to be saved or delivered from their sin, which is their, their greatest, most essential need. But really what they're thinking about is how hard life is and how hard the world is and how hard their job is and how hard their relationships are. And so what they really want is just escape. They just want a momentary escape, a little bit of an escape. That's what they want. And so we also have a culture that's obsessed with food or obsessed with the right food or obsessed with porn or obsessed with social media or obsessed with su substances. We're just looking for escape. We, we don't understand that we don't need escape. We need deliverance. So here's the biblical answer for salvation. You and I are sinners. We're born into it. It's been imputed to us by Adam and Eve. And as a result, we're separated from God because of our sin. 
and we can't do anything to save ourselves or to rectify. There's not, we can't do a kind of a cleanup job on ourselves that'll make us acceptable to God. Instead, what we need and what scripture teaches is a supernatural outside of us intervention in order to be saved. And God provides that through his son's death on the cross and the subsequent resurrection. So it's, it's Tom, our founding pastor, it's, it's his old saying, God saves sinners. God, the subject, the noun, saves, the verb, predicate, all the action is in the subject and the predicate, sinners, direct object. We just sit there and are acted upon. We do nothing. I did something. Yes, okay, yes, you did. You did do something. You brought your sin to the table. Congratulations. That's what you did. Okay. Talk about countercultural. Even in churches, this is hard for people. Even in churches who say, I believe Jesus, I believe the Bible, this is hard. I know how hard it is. Talk about countercultural. So now a little bit deeper. Let's go a little bit deeper, okay? I know you want to go deeper, so we're going to go deeper. You know, this idea that we're basically good, you know, these, the supposed inherent goodness of human beings, it's actually a pretty new idea. It's only about 250 years old. For millennia, for millennia, human beings trusted their observational powers and their senses, and they knew that the depravity of humanity was a real thing. They knew that. But then along comes this guy named Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the French existential philosopher, romantic philosopher. And he's really, his writings and his teaching, teachings are, is the one that's at the root, at the core of all of this postmodern stuff that we're embroiled in today in culture. It took a while to get going, but it sounds so good that it was only a matter of time that it would eventually get going, okay? So think about it. 18th century, 250 years ago, that's it. But his teaching got legs because it's likable. He taught that humans are not born into sin, humans are not bad, the Bible is wrong. Rather, he insisted that humans are born with a clean slate. It's known in, in philosophical circles as the tabula rasa. We are born with a clean slate. We're neither evil nor good, but then... We are corrupted into sin and wickedness by the world and the culture around us, and specifically by the world systems and organizations and political and economic and re religious systems and organizations, whatever they are, as humans begin to come in contact with those things. That's how we become corrupted with badness, is when we get into contact with the rest of the world and its systems. But even, even if you're not a... A, a 101 philosophy student, you can see how this breaks down, can't you? Okay? The world, our culture, and all of its systems are organized and created and operated by people. People. So why is it that the trajectory of the world, the culture, and the systems, and the organization, and all the organizations, and people, why is it that it's always bad? Why is it always bad? The answer is simple. People. We're at the core of it. We're the problem. We hate that. Everybody else is the problem. 
the Biden administration, the Trump administration, the Ducey administration, the church. Church is the problem. My work is the problem. My boss is the problem. My wife is the problem. My husband's the problem. My kids are the problem. My parents are the problem. My friends are the problem. I need new friends. We're the problem. People are not good. There's one who has been truly good. That was Jesus. And that's why he's the only one who can save us through his sacrifice on the cross. So what makes him so different from everyone else? Easily. Easy. He wasn't born into sin. So that's what this whole virgin birth was about. Mary, a virgin, was conceived, Jesus was conceived in Mary, a virgin, by the Holy Spirit. So that that chain of the imputed sin was broken by that. And so he never sinned. He is the perfect righteous lamb. That's why he's the last and perfect and finished sacrifice. He was the end of the sacrificial system. That's good news. And that's why he's the only capable savior. But we have all these other saviors in our lives. Or we think we do. See, we need to understand politics aren't going to save us. Your career is not going to save you. Your passionate desires... And causes won't save you. I'm very passionate about this. Well, it's not going to save you. It's good that you're passionate. Certainly your morality won't save you. By the way, have you noticed how your morality, whatever, it's always changing? Because it's always changing to fit what you want to do. Here's one. Your virtue signaling on social media won't save you. It'll make you look foolish, condescending, and self-centered, but it's not going to save you. I'm a little cynical about social media. Have you noticed? Your education won't save you. Your wealth won't save you. Now, here's what's funny about It's not that those things are necessarily bad, but when we place too much emphasis on them, when we think they're going to deliver us or be an escape mechanism, we value these things too much. They become false gods. They become idols. And false gods never fail to fail. Here's another thing. We also, I already alluded to this, we have the tendency to make our own moral standard. That's what we do. Well, I have my own set of morals. Where'd you come up with those? Well, I think they're just obvious. Okay. The Ten Commandments. Really? Well, name them. There's one about murder. I know that, so I've kept that one. How, how, do, you, how do you set up a moral system on something you don't even know? But we all have this moral standard which we can never keep. And so when we can't keep it, what do we do? Here's what we do. We adjust the standard. We never adjust us. <laughs> See, the problem is, is that the standard, the true standard, Jesus, is correct. We are the problem. And that's why we need to be in Christ. Paul uses that phrase, in Christ, 176 times in his letters in the New Testament. That's how important it is. It's the grace of Jesus, the unconditional love of Jesus... That's what saves us. And that is counter to the culture. So here you go. Another little rabbit, and then we'll get into some scripture. You know, it is true. You and I can do whatever we want. We really can. We can do whatever we want. Now, this is a topic for another time, but I want to mention this. We cannot ever be whatever we want. That's a lie. I mean, seriously, when I was 14 years old, I wanted to be a power forward in the NBA. Was I ever going to be a power forward in the NBA? And, and, and if one of you even comes up to me afterwards and says, you just didn't want it enough, Frank. Uh, yeah, you're not living in reality, okay? 
No matter what my desire is, no matter how hard I work, I was never going to be a power forward in the NBA. So we can't be whatever we want. Discussion for another time. But we can do whatever we want. The problem is, if we're honest, we can't control our wanter. Our wanter is all jacked up. That's the problem. It's our wanter that gets us into trouble. Our desires come and go, and we have no idea why or, or why we can't control that. Have you ever tried with all of your might and will to not want something? You ever tried that? <laughs> and I don't, I don't want that donut. <laughs> And the more you dwell on not wanting that donut, the faster that donut's going to end up in your mouth. Okay? We've all done that. So has Paul. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 7. He says, the things I want to do, in other words, the things I know I should do, the things that are good, I don't do them. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, I don't do them. And the things I don't want to do, the things that I know are bad, evil, sin, they're the very things I find myself doing. My body and my mind are at war with me, with the law, with the Spirit of God. Even as a Christian, he's dealing with this. He's writing to the church in Rome, saying, I struggle with this. And he's not the only one. But then, how does Paul end that little diatribe? How does he end that paragraph? Here it is. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer. See, see, we're not basically good. Now, it is true that why we're not good is kind of beyond our control. We were born into it. We live in a broken world where we feel we must protect ourselves often by doing things that aren't good. I'm not justifying that. I'm just stating an obvious fact. But the irony and the truth is that we're still accountable for our not goodness. We are still accountable for our not goodness, even though we didn't put ourselves in this condition in the first place. Thank you, Adam and Eve. We will still stand before God and be required to give an account, and that we weren't in full control of our not goodness is not an excuse or a get out of responsibility free card. So, again, it's why we need Jesus. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Consider the parable of the prodigal son. Think about the parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 10. 15, 10. It's in Luke, trust me. What the father did for the prodigal son when he returned. The father opened his arms. He had a celebration. They slaughtered the fatted calf. They made merry with his friends. Okay? The son was not welcomed back by the father because he was innocent, but because he was loved. The son was not welcomed back because he was basically good and just made a few mistakes. He was welcomed back because he was loved. And he was forgiven and he was shown grace and mercy. And as a result of that salvation, God's love and mercy and grace has the power to change our desires, to change our wanter. And we all need that. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians, for instance, chapter 10. He says, take every thought captive to Jesus. These thoughts that we have, take them to Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, uh, have in yourself the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, the love of Christ constrains and compels us. The love of Christ holds us back. The love of Christ motivates us. 
We simply don't have the ability to choose correctly by our own will, by our own power, even though we're sure we do, and our world preaches and teaches relentlessly and, and insists that we can. So to finish this series, I'm simply going to read and make a few comments on scriptures that illuminate very clearly this issue of salvation. We've made it clear uh, from the beginning that the Bible is the authoritative text by which we perceive and understand the world and by which we are called to live our lives. So let's just listen to what this authority has to say about our lives. We're going to start with um, Ephesians. So Brennan read for us Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Paul says, prior to knowing Jesus, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Once walked means once lived your life. Following the course of this world, following the culture, looking for the affirmation of other human beings rather than God, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what can a dead person do? Nothing. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of any works that you could have done so that you can't boast about it. We can only boast in Christ, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, Luke Simmons once asked a group of people, he's one of our pastors, he once asked a group of people, he said, if you could describe... If you could define Christianity in two words, what, what, what would those two words be? And they said, well, some people would say, no idea. Other people would say, wishful thinking. Some people would say, do better. None of those are right. But God. But God. Now, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I love this passage so much. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is one sentence in the Greek. Paul just got on a roll. He was so excited. He just couldn't stop himself. And here's what he's doing. He's defining the gospel while also telling us how we are blessed if we are in Christ. And and over the years, I've counted uh, anywhere from 20 to 24 different blessings. And then on Tuesday, I did this with the staff, and we counted 28. The staff is much sharper than me. 28 ways that we are blessed. 
by being in Christ in just this one sentence that he writes. Blessed be the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us. He chose us. There's a blessing in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy blessing and blameless blessing before him. In love, he predestined us. That's a blessing for adoption. There's a blessing to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. You can see the blessings now. I won't, I won't signal them. In him we have redemption through his blood, it, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen and amen. That's awesome. And notice it's in him and by his will and by his purpose and by the spirit. The Trinity's there. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. It's the good news. All right. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. So this is the Gentiles now. They're not even supposed to be part of this. But God came for them too, through Christ, and appointed them. How about some Romans for us? Yes, Frank, do some Romans. Okay, here we go. Romans chapter 9. Now, this, this gets tough. Some people really struggle with this. Romans 9. Paul writes, But it's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Just because you were born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Just because... Here's how Tom used to say it, so you don't get offended at me, you get offended at Tom. Just because you live in Kansas and drive a truck doesn't make you a Christian, do you understand? Being a Christian isn't about your circumstances or environment, it's about your relationship with Jesus, okay? For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. All these people born into Israel not necessarily know God. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. They descended from him, but they don't necessarily belong. But through Isaac shall your offering be named, offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah has conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Though they were not yet born, here's that whole before the foundations of the earth predestined stuff, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, so there was no morality involved, in order that God's purpose of election 
might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, not because of us, but because of God, she was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Just a word about that. The translation, we just, all of it, we always say, the translation isn't the best there. Why do they do that? We don't know, but it's not the best there. And the ESV is not the only one that translated it that way. It's better to understand Jacob was the one that God's favor fell on. Esau was the one that God's favor was withheld from. Because he's God. He gets to decide. I know that's hard. We don't like that. But that's what scripture teaches. He's God, we're not. What shall we say then? Is there injustice? See, Paul anticipates. God is unjust. He's not fair. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I'm going to have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault with us? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, O woman, to answer back to God? Will what has molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? A little bit more in Romans. I love reading scripture in case you were wondering. Here you go, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, as it is written. So the context of this is Paul has gone through every last possible classification of human being on the earth who think they have an excuse to not be with God. So Jews, Gentiles, the moral, the immoral, everybody. He's gotten to this point where he said, everybody has an argument that they don't need God. I'm going to tell you why they do need God. Here it is. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. What do you mean? I, 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 I let somebody in in traffic the other day. I do good. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, that the whole world and that and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That was the purpose of the law, not that we could keep it, but to remind us that we need God. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That is, that's beautiful. John, chapter 6. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
Come to Jesus. Your salvation is secured and guaranteed. It's done. It's sealed. That's a beautiful thing. But the Jews didn't like that. So they grumbled about Jesus because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. That word draws literally means to go and get. It's, it's the word that you would use to draw water from a well. So think about this now. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you've ever drawn water from a well, did you ever go to the edge of the well and just go, come on, water, come on. Look, the water's coming. No, you have to go get it. Jesus came to get us. Okay? Okay? And I will raise him up on the last day, as it is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes from me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I kind of went out of order up there, Cooper. Thanks for helping me out on that. The clear unimpeachable teaching of scripture on the essential issue of salvation can be summarized by this statement by Kostenberger. Christ, by his obedience and death, fully released the, death, the debt of all those who are justified by his sacrifice. He bore in our stead the punishment due for our sins, making a full satisfaction to God's justice on our behalf. And it is by faith alone that this perfect obedience of Christ is credited to all who trust in him alone for their acceptance with God. Or if you prefer, Psalm 1611. You, Lord, make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's salvation. If you want to talk to somebody, please come and talk to us today, if ever there was a day to talk to somebody. We'll have people standing in the wings. There'll be people at the Connect desk. You can email us, whatever you want to do, please. Let me pray as Caleb and Reagan come. Father God, we thank you for your word and its truth. And I know there's a lot of truth in there that we struggle with and don't like, but it's your truth, and so... We pray that your Holy Spirit would dwell within us and draw us to that truth. That we would be drawn to it so that we would see the beauty of it and not feel like it's something that we have to wrestle with in a way that we have to win. But that we would see the beauty of your truth, the beauty of your word, the beauty of your salvation, the beauty of, your, of how you have pulled everything together in creation to honor and glorify you and for our good. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing one more song, and we're going to take communion together. The communion stations are over here on the side. You come out into the middle aisle and come down to get the communion. We remember that Jesus calls us into this sacrament by talking about how the bread broken is his body and how the cup of the wine is the blood and of the new covenant poured out for our forgiveness. And when we step into that aisle and come forward, we confess our need for a savior and we celebrate the fact that we have one. That's what we're gonna do now. As you come and get the 
the communion kits. You can uh, go back to your seat, take those elements when you feel led. And again, if you feel led and if you're able and you want to stand and sing the rest of this song with us, you can do that as well as we wrap up our service.
Amen. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Let me read this from Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go live all of life, all for Jesus. We'll see you next Sunday.